You know? Nope. Almost. It might have introduced in 05, but 06 is when it really hit the market and people got it. 2006. All right, so how old were you in 2006? Six, eight. So none of you were old enough to have one, right? I don't think anybody got one at, you know, in terms of high school. But you've never known the world without a smartphone, consciously. You weren't consciously thinking as a six, eight-year-old. You've always wanted one. You've never known the world without it. Some of you don't have one yet. I know that's partially your goal in life is to get one, but, but you've never known the world without it. So, so, so hear me out for a second, because I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to be helpful. Smartphone has changed everything. It's changed how human beings interact. It's changed how people think. It's changed how people schedule their lives. It has radically changed every facet of life. I think it's absolutely amazing. Uh, they're going to write, when we're dead and gone hundreds of years from now, there's going to be massive writing, I promise you, in history books about what the smartphone did to culture and what it did to people. And not all of it's going to be bad. I don't mean that at all. Not all of it's going to be bad. So I just want you to think, we're not going to answer out loud at all. I just want you to think about two parts of your day. What is your morning routine? Just thinking through, what are the first things you do when you wake up? What are the things that you do in that first 45 minutes to an hour of being awake? Then, I want you to ratchet ahead in your day till you've gone to your room and it's the end of your day. So what is the routine that you follow through? What are, what are the things that you're doing and what is transpiring with you until you go to sleep? Till your eyes slam shut and you're out. I dare say that for most of you, it heavily involves the use of your phone. That, that almost completely tied to it, good or bad, it, it's associated with what you're doing with your life because it is so intertwined into so much of your life. Now, with me saying that, I'm running an uphill battle that when I first started preaching this, I wasn't running this uphill battle. Because you, when you read this, I remember you upon my bed. I'm on page 32, by the way. I skipped a session. I'm doing it tonight. So I'm on page 32. I'm doing Savoring the Lord. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So, so David is describing doing something here that is, that is foreign to most of us and just how we go about how we do before we go to sleep. Or what we would do if we woke up in the middle of the night and we couldn't sleep, how would we do it? He's describing something that is a little bit foreign. So, so what it means is, so I want you to hear me, I'm not saying that we need to totally get rid of the phone or we totally need to get rid of our electronic devices. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. As a Christian, I'm going to have to alter how this thing affects my life. So if you don't think about anything else today, I want you to think about how you alter your thinking so that it gets lined up with what it means to savor the Lord as a Christian and
and how you would go about that. So let me pray for us, and then I'm going to be fairly quick this morning. Let's pray. Lord, help us now to think together. Apply your word to us. Bring conviction where necessary. Bring instruction and enlighten our hearts. And Lord, grow our desire for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm reading the quote from Spiritual Disciplines by Donald Whitney. Our age has been sadly deficient in what may be termed spiritual greatness. Now, he wrote this before social media and smartphones. At the root of this is the modern disease of shallowness. We are all too impatient to meditate on the faith we profess. It is not the busy skimming over religious books or the careless hastening through religious duties which make for a strong Christian faith. Rather, it is an unhurried meditation on gospel truths and the exposing of our minds to these truths that yields the fruit of a sanctified character. All right, so I want you to think about something with me. So open my phone up to Instagram, and let's see if I get one. Yeah, first thing, I get a message from somebody, a Christian. And I won't read it, but, but it's a little message. Now, here, here, here's what's happening to you spiritually if this is your spiritual intake. This is what it's doing you. So this is, a, this is a Christian message, and then I scroll down, and the next thing is an ad, and then the next thing is somebody going on a date and smooching, and the next thing is a kid in a boat, and the next thing is two kids playing, and the next thing is some abstract art somewhere. Uh, the next thing's a football Next thing is about England. All right, so what I have done is I've just associated that first thing that came up with a Bible quote. As I scrolled, my mind just went jumbled in 40 different directions. Now, I might have read the Bible verse, but I'm not thinking about the Bible. This is what I'm talking about. This is fundamentally changing how you think. What we're discussing here, what the Bible is revealing is this capacity to grab hold of a thought and hold it. To hold it beyond the moment. All right, so I'm on the next page. What is biblical meditation? So I'm not talking about yoga meditation. Eastern meditation is the emptying of the mind that is not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation, the definition is in the middle of the page. Biblical meditation is concentrated thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture for the purpose of understanding. So you're thinking about the truth that you at first you may not understand. You're thinking about it, asking the Spirit of God to give you understanding. Second, application. What do I do to, with this? What do I need to believe or what do I need to act on? And prayer. So how does this affect how I'm praying to God? Now let's look at the verse just above this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So, uh, man, my brain just went blank. Uh, CSI, uh, the, the, the show about investigating crime. This was several years ago. Uh, it was show based out of Las Vegas, and this group of college kids got together, put masks on, and they would just meet at a certain location and beat somebody nearly to death, and they ended up beating somebody to death. So when they discovered these were educated college kids, they discovered them, and they started interviewing them personally, 
And I'll never forget, they interviewed this young woman, and they said, why did you do this? She said, I was bored. bored. I, I really believe this. I, I believe that we are so filling our minds with the exact opposites of what Philippians is teaching here. We're thinking about what is false, what is dishonorable, what is unjust, what is impure, what is unloving, what is not commendable, what is not excellent. And when we fill our minds with that, you know what's going to follow? Our actions. I don't know why we're all so surprised at the evil that people are doing when everything we're watching in movies and television and music and things are talking about evil. When you constantly think like that, you're going to act like that. So the scripture is saying to you as a Christian, you've got to put your minds on things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are just, they're pure, they're lovely, they're commendable, they're excellent. So how do you do that? How do you do that? So here's my question. How should I meditate? How can we do what David says? I meedite on you. I remember you. First, you've got to have a plan. Psalm 119. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Now, most of you in this room at this phase in your life are not going to get up early and, and do what David's talking about doing here. So here's, here's the simple application of this. David had a plan for when he was going to think about the things of God. You've got to have a plan for that. Now, whenever that is, it's got to be a realistic plan. So it's not during first period, okay? Now, some of you may try that, but it's, it's got to be at a place in time in your life. You have a place that you can do this, and you've got to have a time that you can do this. So... He's doing it before the day begins. Now, I just want to say to you, even though you set a time for a plan, your flesh, when it comes time for that, is going to say, let's do something else. Let's just watch TV. or Let's, let's just check Instagram for a few minutes, see what's there, how many likes I got. You're going to want to do something else. You've got to fight through your flesh. And give yourself to these things. After a period of time, you will begin to find a pattern. So I was talking to some of the guys who are playing football. So next week is my favorite week of the year still. I still think the first week of August and my, my days of, of coaching football. I love the first week of football, really day eight. Because day eight is when you get to put the pads on and crack heads with each other. Those first five days of practice... One of my favorite statements is, man, that's just that PlayStation coming out when somebody's over on the sidelines puking. Because they didn't cultivate getting ready for that week. They spent the whole summer playing PlayStation, and now they're surprised that they're out of shape and throwing up. But somewhere about week two, even the kid who played PlayStation all summer will start to get in a pattern. And practice will become fun. So this is my point to you is this. Your flesh is going to fight you when you establish a plan, but after a period of time, you'll start to fall more into a pattern. It'll become easier. So once you establish the plan, what do you do? You begin with the word. He says, I will meditate on your precepts, on God's ordained truth. Now, I suggest you work through the Bible systematically. 
In other words, don't just randomly read verses. You need to start in a place in the Scripture and work through it. Now, for those of you who are regularly a part of Parkway, we're very excited. In August, we're launching a material to the whole church to help people do this. We're asking the straightforward questions through, how do you meditate on this text of Scripture? We're, we're, instead of just telling you how to do it as a church, we're going to show you how to do it and encourage you to do it, and then that's going to directly impact your growth group when you come on Sunday night to be a part. So while you're doing this, next page, page 34, you're looking intently at his ways, Psalm 119, 15. I fix my eye and fix my eyes on your ways. So you're always asking this question primarily. This is the primary question when you're reading the Bible. What does this text teach me about God? What does this text teach me about who God is and how God works? We're not primarily reading the Bible to say, what must I do? That's a secondary issue, and that's going to come. But you're primarily trying to understand and gain an understanding of who God is. So meditation begins with the Word. You fix your eyes on the ways of God, and then here's what happens. It stays with you the rest of the day. He says, Psalm 63, when I remember you on my bed and meditate you on you in the watches of the night. When you fix your mind on the things of God, you look intently at his ways, then God brings those things to your mind throughout the rest of the course of your day and throughout the rest of the course of your week. It's just how the thing functions. It's, 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 it's if you will, somebody asked me the other day, how, how do you put a sermon together? Well, the first three or four days, I'm just filling up the crock pot. Your mom cooked with a crock pot? Your dad? Right? You put a bunch of ingredients in there, and it looks kind of gross. But what you do, you let it cook for a while, and all of those different flavors all come together. Now, maybe you don't like that kind of food, but that's how you prepare a sermon. You put it on the crock pot, you let it cook for a while, and then it becomes something that's put together. So no sermon that I preach that has any effect at all does not come from meditation, or it comes from meditation is a better way to say it. I'm standing here listening to these songs. Every one of these songs that we've been singing came from biblical meditation. There's somebody thinking intently about the Bible. I mean, that last one was beautiful. It was just meditating on what happened at the cross. What was transpiring? Beautiful language. That's how God desires for you to approach his word, to think about it and then keep it in your mind. John Owen, in his little book, Spiritual Thinking, I'm at the end of the paragraph, he says, we have established one of the marks of spiritual mindedness when spiritual thoughts flow naturally and plentifully in the mind and at all times. Then we have reason to believe that their source is a healthy spiritual mind. So, next page. What prompts meditation? What causes me to meditate on the Word? There has to be a love for the Lord God and a love for His Word. Psalm 119. For I... Del Find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Now, do you see the connection that the psalmist is making? That life from the steadfast love of God is directly tied to the word of God. 
And spending time delighting in and loving the Word of God and meditating on what God has said in His Word. Next, understanding the Word prompts meditation. Make me understand the ways of your precepts. (laughs) Does anything strike you about that verse? So let me ask this way. Is God telling you to understand his precepts with that verse? No, it's the exact opposite. David is saying to God, make me understand. So what's the admission? What's David or the psalmist admitting in Psalm 119? What? Uh, he couldn't yeah, I don't understand it. You ever said that? I don't understand the Bible. Well, the Bible's giving you a prayer to pray. Make me understand the ways of your precepts. Now, here's what happens. When you begin to understand the Bible, I will meditate on your wondrous works. Then you begin to think about who God is and what God has done. So a love for the Word of God or for the Lord God himself and the Word, understanding from the Word prompts meditation. Number three, affliction. This is multiple times in the Psalms. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. So what the psalmist is saying is that affliction leads you to meditate on the Word, to seek to find answers, to seek to find comfort, to seek to find help in the midst of your difficulty. It is amazing in my life to look back in my journals and see how God used affliction to lead me to His Word and how that led to a deeper understanding of who He is. So, love for the Word, understanding of the Word, affliction, and last, a firm decision. Psalm 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. you got to decide this is what you're going to do. Now, all right, I mean, can I talk to the guys for a minute? Girls, is that okay? So guys are the number ones that say, oh, I can't concentrate. Gentlemen, I've watched you play video games. Don't tell me you can't concentrate. Listen, you concentrate on what you love. So this is, this is going back and unpacking everything we're talking about now. You concentrate on what you love. You give your mind to what you love. You think about what you love. Now, ladies, same is true for you. Your concentration is in other places. I won't pick on you as hard as I did the boys. But here's what I think is driving a lot of you young women, is to get a like. Just put something out there and get as many people to like it as possible. Too many of you, your self-worth is caught up in that. Your self-worth needs to come from the Lord, not from what people think about you. You need to set your mind there. Set your mind on the things of God. Turn the page. Here's my question. Am I cultivating a mind that both knows and seeks to know the Lord God? 
Colossians 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. So he's saying, this is who you are. If you're a Christian, something radical has happened. The old man is gone. The old person is gone. The new has come. The power of the resurrection has been applied to you, and you have been hidden with Christ. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. So what a believer longs for and practices is to set their minds on the things of God. That's what he means, the things above. John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, said, The great problem is banality. A mind fed daily on, and let me replace his word, a mind fed daily on social media diminishes. Your mind was made to know and love God. Its facility for his great calling is ruined by excessive social media. The content is so trivial and so shallow that the capacity of the mind to think worthy thoughts withers and the capacity of the heart to feel deep emotions shrivels. Repeat this last part. The, the, the capacity of the mind to think worthy thoughts withers and the capacity of the heart to feel deep emotions shrivels. So you are both to think deeply and to feel deeply. I just want to offer a last concern, and this kind of leads us into tonight. So I've been to um, a lot of high school sporting events over my years. And uh, here's what I've noticed. Unless it, involves, unless it involves something edgy, okay, you're normally something that's a little bit out there. Here's what I've found most high school kids now do at high school sporting events. Crowd cheers. I, I'm not fussing, okay? Some say, well, my school's crazy. All right, I told you, unless there's something edgy involved, get the edgy, whatever that is. Somehow, somehow, we have robbed a generation of people to think and feel. And God, in His salvation, saves you to Himself to think and feel and to think and feel deeply. Remember last night we were talking about joy. We ought to be joyful people. We ought to be, we ought to be people who just enjoy life and in, enjoy what the experiences that are before us. I don't know what we're all scared of. I don't know. But Christ has overcome fear. He's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. A sound mind. So I want to appeal to you to think about what I've preached to you today and to take the steps to put it in practice. All right. If 
You heard my illustration about football, guys and girls, and you said, man, August 1st, I'm going to play football. If you went through a full football practice the first day, you'd be dead. So you don't need to read the book of Genesis tonight. You get my illustration? You don't start with the whole thing. You've got to find a place to start. And that's different for all of you, so I'm not going to make a, a general suggestion here. That's why you have small group leaders. That's why you have student pastor. That's why I'm here. I want to interact with you a little bit and help you find a place to get started. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these young men and women for listening. And I pray, Lord, for application. I thank you for the fruit that's already happening in the lives of some as a result. And I pray, God, that you would give fruit to many more. That they would say with the psalmist, I will meditate on your precepts. I will. And they would take the action to do it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I do have a couple of books that I've quoted from. Spiritual Disciplines and uh, the others. Don't Waste Your Life, I talked from. And then the others. Be glad for you to have them afterward. Excuse me.